now it's time for Adam to lead us in our second week of our origin series. Thank you, Tom. Am I on? Yeah, you are. Oh, that yeah. sort of rhymes, isn't it? Thank you, Tom. Am I on? There we go. Okay, good. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Hello? Was that a yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it sounded like a no, sorry. Oh, Lord, help. Okay, well, um, what a fantastic time of worship. Fantastic. Isn't it great to be in God's presence? Just so good. Um, okay, so this morning, uh, I'm going to take a look at Genesis chapter 3. And uh, commonly known as the fall of man, that, that uh, particular chapter. And um, it's really important, actually, that as Christians, we um, take a look at this chapter because it's, it's very important in terms of understanding a Christian worldview, Genesis chapter 3. Mm. And uh, it is the answer to why the world is as it is today. Mm. Uh, it outlines, most importantly, it, it outlines the entry of sin into the world. And we see in this chapter a huge change. We see a change from a sin-free world into a world dominated by a mankind that is now enslaved to sin and sinful behaviour. It explains, this chapter, why there is so much suffering in the world. It explains sickness. It explains emotional brokenness. It explains natural disasters. It's a big chapter. It shows us why there is so much evil in the world. It shows, it shows us why humans can be so vile at times. They can, you know. <laughs> okay, all right, you don't believe me. It explains things like greed and selfishness and pride and hardship. It explains the toughness of life. You know those days you go through, that why is just, this is just tough. Mm. Chapter 3 explains that. <clears throat> it really is a vital chapter in terms of um, uh, our understanding. And we need to understand just what happened to humanity at this time. You know, I love history. I just adore it. I'm reading a book on the Anglo-Saxons at the moment. Fantastic. I'm learning all sorts of things. I love critical moments in human history. In terms of critical moments, this is right up there. Yeah. This is right up there. We need to understand this chapter well. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's also important when we come to Genesis chapter 3 though, we look at Adam and Eve and uh, the garden. I'm a bit boomy guys, can you just, sorry, just, it's really distracting me, can you just, just turn the boominess down, that'd be great. It must be a boomy button that there, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think it's also important when we come to this chapter though, we see that it's not all symbolic. Yeah. I've heard some uh, preachers uh, preach and they say well it, there wasn't really an Adam and Eve and there wasn't really it was sort of a symbol of something it's all a grand sort of allegory very important to see Jesus did not see it that way mm. when Jesus was asked about marriages and about divorce he pointed people back to the beginning he said let's look at Adam and Eve mm. he clearly saw Adam and Eve as a real couple mm. as Eden as a real place and therefore I would suggest that as believers so should we it's also important for us to understand Genesis chapter 3 if we want to understand the whole of the New Testament. Yeah. Which, you know, another <laughs> really important thing. The New Testament makes no sense if we do not understand what's happened in Genesis 3. 
So that's why it's really important to understand it. It, it just answers some very, very big questions. I don't know if you've ever been asked a question by uh, somebody that you work with. They said, well, if God made us, how come we're all sinful then? Why are we broken if God made us? Did God make us faulty? And that would be a very fair question. We understand how to answer that question uh, from this chapter. But not only do we see the fall of man and the introduction of sin into the world in this chapter, we also see some other major themes and issues that God starts to introduce into our thinking at this time. He introduces us to the idea that there is a devil, an actual real being, a force of evil that works against the purposes of God and is seeking to deceive us and harm us. That's quite important to know, isn't it? Yeah. It also introduces, introduces us, at the beginnings anyway, to the idea that one day uh, a Messiah will be born. That the Messiah is going to come. A man will be born, this is what God is telling us in this chapter, a man will be born and he will beat the devil. Yeah. But he will crush him, yeah. is what it's saying. And the beginnings, therefore, of the gospel of Jesus Christ are laid out in chapter 3. Yeah. There it is. You know, they say when you read the Old Testament, in fact, we saw this. Do you remember when we looked at Jesus on the road to Emmaus and he was chatting with his disciples? Do you remember what the Bible says? It says he showed them where he was in the Old Testament. So when you read the Old Testament, what you're looking for is Jesus. Yeah. Where do we find Jesus? We find Jesus right here in chapter 3. Here he is, right at the beginning. Okay, so we're going to read this chapter together. I'm just going to read a couple of verses uh, from chapter 2. It's quite a lot to read, but hey, it's really good to read scripture together, isn't it? Yeah. So let's start uh, with chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, 
I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, I shall bring forth, you, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, but out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments or skins, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Wow, it's quite a chapter, isn't it? So where do we start with all of that? Well, I want to start in paradise. Let's start there, shall we? So we, we saw uh, Ian preach the other day about the creation. So God has created all things. And then God creates this wonderful garden and he puts Adam and Eve in paradise. Let's just stop before we get into all the other stuff. Where did God put man? In paradise. What was God's heart for humanity right at the beginning? To put them in paradise. He didn't give them a terrible place to live. He put them in paradise, in perfect conditions. A place, the Bible tells us, that we read from uh, chapter 2, that was full of beauty and provision. There was, it seems, at this time, no death. They had not experienced that. That doesn't come until after the fall. Humanity was imbued with a sense of significance and purpose. We are made in the image of God. What greater compliment could God give to us than that? Hey, I'm going to make you to be something like me. What? Like you, God? You mean I don't have to walk on all fours and bark? No, I'm going to make you to look like me. Wow, something like you. Have you just pondered that for a minute? You look something like God. 
I mean, okay, not exactly. <laughs> but you're made in his image. You're an image bearer of God. What great compliment, a great compliment is that. And man then was given dominion over everything in the earth. Talk about significance and importance. Look at that. God has given that to us straight away. Yeah. This is how important you are. I'm going to put you in charge of everything. <laughs> and what else do we see in that uh, chapter? Well, we see a kind of innocence and openness in humanity. A, a freedom with nothing to hide. No one's saying, I hope they don't see this about me. I'm going to present this side of me. There is just total openness, innocence, freedom. It's beautiful. And we see, remarkably, we see this incredible harmony between God and man. So we see God come into the garden, which I assume was the kind of natural thing. He comes into the garden at the cool of the day. And he comes to walk with Adam and Eve. There is a natural sense of knowing him. Here he is. He comes. I know where he is. I know how to find God. I know how to be with him. I know how to walk with him. There's no sense of, well, is he there then? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Is God real? Oh, I don't know. How do you find God? How do you ask him for stuff? How do you have faith? How do you, all the things that we have to go through. There's none of that. There's just a sense of, there is God. I walk with him. That's what humanity is like. Walking naturally, beautifully with God. And actually, we also see not only a wonderful harmony with God, but we also see, I think, a greater harmony with the natural world. It's only after the fall that we get thistles and, and weeds beginning to grow up sort of uncontrollably. Mankind has to work really hard to get this thing under control. Prior to that, that doesn't exist. There seems to be in a sense that there was a harmony between man and nature working together in the purposes of God. So there's harmony with God, harmony with nature, and we're all in it together. It's a beautiful place. That is the place that God created. He said, that's right for, for mankind. I'm going to put them there. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, doesn't that tell us how he feels about us? Yeah. Yes. We've been hearing in the worship so helpfully. Hearing in the worship, God loves you and he's for you. Here it is in the pages of the, in the, right, the third chapter. God is saying, screaming in the midst of this, I love you, therefore I'm going to give you Eden. I would suggest that's really important to remember. Because at the moment, when we look up and we look at the world, what do you see? Well, we see pandemics, don't we? And we see death and suffering and murder. And we, we hear about disasters all the time. And we can look out at the world and say, what a, it's just, oh, it's dreadful. And then you're right, those things are. But remember what God's original plan was. God said, I'm going to put man in Eden. That was his plan. You could look vaguely happy at that, okay? Yeah. It's, it's quite good news. And the good news, can we just say at this time, is as we begin to look at Revelation, God's heart is to bring us back to that. Yeah. If you've read the final two or three chapters of the book of Revelation, it talks about a new heaven yeah. and a new earth. Yeah. Yeah. It says it's going to be a place where there's no suffering. 
There's no pain. There's no death. And wonderfully, in the midst of that, it talks about how God is going to be our God and we will be his people. He will walk with us and we will walk with him. That so reminds me of God walking in the cool of the day. And here we see it again, right, right at the end of the book in Revelations. That's what God's going to bring us back to. Going to bring us back to a sense of... In fact, I think reading through Revelation is better than Eden. There's something even better than he had before. That is God's heart for you. That is God's heart for you. Wow. Can we just hold on to that yeah. as we go through the fall? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we now need to come back to Eden. I, you know, We all want to be in glory, I know. But let's come back to Eden. Because there's some trees we need to start to look at. We need to know about. The Bible tells us are very important. There is the tree of life which does not come with a public health warning. We're just told that it's there. But more importantly then, there is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this absolutely does come with a public health warning, a great big one. And God has, as it were, nailed to this tree to say, don't touch this one, it's bad news for you. And uh, so God says this, doesn't he? He says, you may surely eat of every tree of which there were many in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's what God has said. Now, I think we just need to observe the emphasis. It says here, surely die. So in other words, this is definitely going to happen. So this is a good parent. This is like a good parent who says, don't shove your hand in the fire, because if you do, you'll get burnt. So this is a good parent saying, if you eat of this one, you will definitely die. There's no going back on it. This is what will happen. I can't rescue you from this. I can't stop this from happening. This is what will happen if you do it. Okay? Good parent. He's uh, spelt it all out. And it also seems that what God is saying here is, is in the same day, actually at the same time that you eat it, you will die. Now I know there's all sorts of theological conversations around this but as I see it what God is saying is when you eat the apple you will die there's no delay you're going to die because I think that's what he's saying but we are forced then when we go on reading the Bible it says that Adam we know of course they eat the apple don't we and then it says Adam lived for another 900 years before he dies which forces some questions for us to have a little think about, doesn't it? So what's happened there? Has God relented? Did God get it wrong? Is it, what's the deal? Well, I would suggest this. <clears throat> Mankind, the moment they sinned, they ate that apple, died. But they die spiritually. Mm -hmm. They die spiritually. And then physical death will, will follow on, but many years later after that. The, the spiritual comes first, and then the physical follows on afterwards. That's the model that we see. So the moment that they eat that apple, uh, they die. And now the world has completely changed. This is so significant for you and me and for all of humanity, because the world has now changed. Sin changes everything. Mm. It's still true today. Sin changes everything. Adam and Eve start to experience things that they hadn't experienced in a kind of unsullied paradise. What do they start to feel? Well, they start to feel shame and guilt and fear 
and they're vulnerable. Adam says, we were naked. They didn't know what it was to be naked prior to this time. Now, with the benefit of the New Testament, we can understand exactly now what's just happened with the eating of this apple. Because the New Testament says this, spiritually, there are only two places that you can exist. You can either exist in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of light, or you can exist in the kingdom of dark, of the, the, the devil's kingdom. They're not equal kingdoms. God is vastly superior. But there are only two places. The Bible doesn't give you any other option. There isn't a kind of third way. There are no liberal Democrats here. You know what I mean? There's no <laughs> one in the middle. No, no. No, no. There's, it's, it's, you are either in the kingdom of light or the kingdom of dark. <clears throat> and uh, what's just happened as Adam has disobeyed, he has just moved from the kingdom of light yeah. into the kingdom of dark. He has moved from being righteous before God to now being sinful, from life to death. What's happened is the opposite of a salvation moment. Yeah. So when you got saved, you believed in Jesus, didn't you? Did you? Yes. yes, good. I was hoping for more instantly from that one. When you got saved, what you said was, I believe in you, Jesus, as the Son of God. Please forgive me for the sin that I've committed. I'm going to follow you. And when you said that, what happened is that you moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light instantaneously. Boom. That's what happened. Yeah. You go from death to life. That's what the Bible teaches us. Adam has just done the opposite. It's a terrible, terrible moment. It's a huge, huge moment for all of humanity. New Testament makes it very clear that sin has now entered and broken into the whole human race as a result of that sin. And it's kind of infected all humans from this point on. And every time now a human being is born, we are all born with the same spiritual death that Adam chose to embrace. Uh, Romans 5 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death comes through sin, so death then spread to all men, all people, because all sinned. So we, the Bible teaches us, all now live with the consequence of the fact that Adam and Eve sinned. It didn't just affect them, it affected you. Every single human being, but one, was affected by this. We are, we start, as it were, as sons and daughters of Adam, the fallen, sinful man. That's what the Bible teaches us. We're looking at origins. Yeah. That's where we start. So massive human uh, point in human history. So Adam effectively drags all of humanity into the kingdom of darkness as our start point. When you are born, you are born into the kingdom of darkness. Humanity has been fundamentally reshaped because of this act. It means we all now have a disposition towards sin. Remember Terry Virgo came the other day? Yeah. Wasn't Terry good? Yeah. yeah. Really good. And he preached from Romans 6, and he talked about being slaves to righteousness. Remember that? Yeah. Yes. 
Actually, the Bible says we were slaves to sin at the beginning. When did we become slaves to sin? Great question. It happened then. Genesis 3. That's why it's so important to understand this chapter. Wow. But we didn't start out sinful. So you can answer that question now when somebody asks you, how come we're sinful then when God made us? Well, now you know. We weren't created like this. But mankind now finds itself in a terrible state. And the question I guess we should be asking as we're reading through chapter 3 is, oh boy, what are we going to do now? What is humanity? How is humanity going to get out of this state? Because it's now spiritually dead, not alive. What what are we going to do? Well, there's hope. And you know there's hope. Yeah. And there's hope because humanity was made by a God that didn't stop loving us even though we fell. Praise God. We've been singing about a good God today. I'm just so amazed, really, to hear that. Yeah, this is a good God. Here's the evidence of the goodness of God. And there's hope. And amazingly, we begin to see the hope of God first appear, would you believe, through the judgments of God. Because that's what God has to do right now, because the sin has happened, and God is just and fair, isn't he? Yeah? Yeah. You're not responding at all today. Come on, wake up. I'm not the only one working. Come on. Any better? Okay. Okay. Okay, so God is righteous and just, which means he now has to judge uh, the sin that's happened. Otherwise, he wouldn't be fully just and right. But even in the judgment of God that's about to come, we see the kindness and the goodness of God. Yeah. Uh, Which is just as well, because at this point, I think humanity needs a bit of hope. Because they've just woken up to what's happened. If you read through this chapter, Eve says to God, I was deceived. There's a little light bulb moment that's just happened. Humanity has just thought, hang on a minute. What's just happened? Yeah. And uh, you see... uh, when the devil came along, what he promised was that you're going to know equality with God. Do you remember that? Yeah. You are going to know the difference between good and evil, and it's going to be great. That's what the devil is saying. It's going to be absolutely great. You can cast, all you've got to do is cast off the restraints of this restrictive God who was viciously. Okay, sorry about that. Um, All you've got to do is cast off the restraint of this God who is just viciously only allowing you to eat from all the trees in the garden and just say no to one. I mean, boy, isn't that restrictive. Uh, But uh, if you can just just say no to him, uh, then you'll you'll be be able to really be satisfied. Now, can I just say, that's the same story that the devil has used throughout the ages. He's basically tried to make out that sin is good. And actually today, people will tell you, yeah, sin is great. That's freedom. No, it's not. Sin is disaster. Sin always uh, messes stuff up. So anyway, they were expecting it to be wonderful. But what do they actually find when they sin? The Bible says they now observe that they are naked. They are completely and utterly naked. And they realize that they have been defeated by the devil. That what they had, 
paradise is going to be taken away because of what the devil has done. They also actually realize that not only are they spiritually dead, that now they're going to have to face the horror of physical death. Mm. And actually, it's not before long, they're about to see their first carcass, their first dead animal. And they're going to look at that, and I've no doubt they would say, crumbs, that's coming to us. Boy, we have been sold a lie here, haven't we? We swapped paradise for that. That realization would have come. Now, so it's very important then for us to see what God says next. Because he turns to the serpent and he curses him. And he says to him, from now on, talking obviously figuratively about the devil. He's saying, from now on, you will move on your belly. He says this. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Eating dust sounds like a very modern phrase, doesn't it? Eating dust. It means, uh, actually, it's always meant in the Old Testament, utter defeat. When you eat dust, utter defeat. So what God is saying here to the devil is this. You think you won, but I'm telling you, you will be utterly defeated. You will eat dust. So I'm, symbolically, I'm going to turn the serpent into something that moves on its belly. Something that constantly eats dust whenever it, wherever it moves. So whenever a human being sees a snake, it would have said, ah, oh, the day is going to come when God is going to utterly defeat the one who's defeated us. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Do you see why hope would begin to arise? Hang on, God's going to beat the one who's yeah. beaten us. Yeah. Yeah. And even from this side of the cross, we can still, whenever we see a snake, it should remind us the devil has been utterly defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's what he's done. God then goes on and he says this. He says, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise, or that could read, crush your head and, and you shall bruise his heel. So what's God saying in this? This is another really important phrase. God is saying this. So he's saying to the devil, you think that you've won because you have put sin into the heart of mankind, which has led to enmity between them and me. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And of course we know that there is a barrier of sin. But the irony, God is saying, is this. These people that now are born into your kingdom, I'm gonna raise up a person from amongst them and they will defeat you. <clears throat> uh, you will harm him, but I am telling you, he will crush your head like somebody stamps on an egg. I am gonna crush you. So God is telling mankind, the one who has deceived you and led you into death and captivity, I will totally defeat. Guys, there is hope yeah. and hope is coming. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Before he even judges them, he gives them hope. Yeah. Yeah. He would be quite within his rights not to do that. Yet a merciful, loving father who creates paradise for us then says, hey, okay, I know this has happened. Yes, you have entered death, but there is still hope uh, even amongst all of that. And of course, we know what God is referring to, don't we? We know that he's referring to the coming of Jesus. Yeah. And his victory on the cross. And boy, the devil sure did bruise him. Mm. 
at that point, didn't he? When Jesus was uh, crucified, he suffered a terrible and humiliating death. But through that death, Jesus brought salvation for all who believes. Wonderfully, wonderfully, we see this terrible event that happened right at the beginning of our history. Right at the beginning, God then says, I will break through this. Here is my victory. And therefore, we read in Romans 5, Therefore, as one trespass, that's Adam and Eve, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For uh, as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus on the cross, the many will be made righteous. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? The cross of Christ has come. This utter, this life of utter death, we can now say we are free from. As Christians, we can say we are free from that. That is not now our future. Our future is now a future of life. Oh, it's worth so much more than that. Anyway, (laughs) just for your interest, um, you might like to know that a number of the theologians and commentators point out that even though Adam and Eve sinned, there's some evidence that they repent and they, they change back to start believing God's word again. So actually, I think we are gonna see Adam and Eve in heaven. So, uh, and this comes because uh, Adam names his wife Eve, which means life. And that's a direct response to what God has said about Eve, which is that she would have offspring. Bear in mind, Adam and Eve have had no offspring. They've both been created sovereignly by God. They've never had kids in the kind of way that we all do. This is news to them. And, but they believe it because of the naming of Eve. And Eve receives this, this name. She says, yes, okay. So both of them are saying, God, because of what you have said in your judgment that we're gonna have offspring, we believe you again. We are lining up with your word and we believe you by faith. So by faith, they are believing what God has said. It seems that they are lining up again. And therefore, if they have believed that, then they're gonna believe the rest of what God has said, which is one day a Messiah will come and he will rescue us. So Adam and Eve, I would suggest, although they didn't know him by name, were also saying we believe in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the beginning. That's our origins. It's a really important bit of theology for us to grasp. Yeah. Why are we sinful? And why did Jesus have to come to get us out of the mess? It's Genesis chapter 3. Can I recommend that you read it again yeah. and understand the significance of it? That would be really great. And then lastly, to close, what about you? Adam and Eve sinned, but the indication is they repented of their sin. Where are you? Have you believed in Jesus as the Son of God? Have you repented for your sin. Dave so helpfully talked about it in the middle of worship when he said, if you uh, uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe it in your heart, you will be saved. You will cross over from death to life. So I just want to urge you, if you haven't made that decision, I want to urge you to do it. Yeah, yeah. It is the most important decision you'll make. 